that's the reason why I like the podcast so much. It's purpose. It's leaving my mark. It's having an effect on people. Maybe it's not like making them change their life or making them happy or sad or whatever. But if there was something in it that taught them or entertained them in some way, I have made a little difference in the world. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff, here with my favorite co-host, Lloyd Graff. Today is a special occasion. It is the 100th episode of this podcast. A lot has happened in our lives since the podcast began two and a half years ago. And today we're going to look back at how the show reflected the world as it evolved. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I want to welcome everybody to the 100th episode of Swarfcast. I am here with my favorite and occasional co-host, Lloyd Graff. Thank you. Also, my dad and business partner. I spent a while trying to figure out how would be best to put together a 100th episode because it's pretty big deal. You wonder if you're ever going to get there. And I didn't want to just do a best of show. That is what we're going to do to some extent. We're going to have some cool clips from some of our favorite episodes. But we wanted to go back and and go over these last two years, two and a half years. Our first episode was released in June of 2018. We're going to go back in time a little bit, work our way up from the beginning and reflect on where we were in our lives, where the machining industry was and just the world in general. So first, I guess we should start uh, the first episode of the program. We interviewed each other. And so I guess I'll start with our with our second guest besides us, uh, Miles Free. We did an episode, um, actually a double episode with Miles, where he talked about tariffs. This was in April of 2018. The episode was released in June, but we interviewed him in April, and he was talking about the impending tariffs on metals that Trump was about to implement. And it was interesting to uh, listen to that episode, and we're going to play you just uh, a little clip here. 
It's really interesting to me because the tariff seems to me to be something you would do to an enemy. So we don't like the way the Iranians handle things in their part of the world. So we put economic sanctions on them and mm -hmm. we try and isolate them and we forbid them from getting certain parts and technologies. And so we don't like the way the Russians are behaving. So we say, you know what, we're going to put in economic sanctions and we're going to forbid some technologies and this and that. And, you know, the North Koreans, we don't like their their policies. So we say, sure. you know what, you can't have this or that. So what the tariffs do, uh, have done is They've taken our federal government, and it has done the same thing to the American worker in metalworking that we're doing to but the our, Iranians and the Russians and the North Koreans. You guys now have to pay more for the steel. We're going to control mm -hmm. your access to this. It's We would do that in time of war. We would do that to an enemy. It's not a time of war, and they're doing that to us. They're doing that to us. That's crazy. So one of the interesting things that we learned on our study mission was you could not be a solely owned foreign company in China. You had to have a Chinese partner. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the Chinese partner had to have full access to your technology. Every, so and every, by the every, way, every multinational company over there, they have some Chinese there, ownership? There, are, there is Chinese ownership. Now, the Chinese have just relaxed a rule on ownership for car companies. In episode 86, we talked to Mike Micklewright, and he was telling us that work was coming back or... On the verge. On the verge. Of coming back. How long have we heard on the verge? In the last two years, with the trade wars and then with COVID-19, it's really starting to happen. People are seriously considering moving back to the United States and now. And some sectors have to do it. Can you give us an example? Companies really moving stuff back from China to the United States. I, I cannot give you an example right now, no. Is that because it's confidential information or because you don't know of an example? I don't know of too many, but I do know of uh, a couple of instances. Um, and I, I, yeah, there's nothing I can say about that. Yeah. It's what I have difficulty with. I've been hearing this for so long. <laughs> I've been hearing this onshoring, reshoring, at least for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. And I've seen remarkably little. Now, anecdotally, in our machine tool business, we are hearing more and more about it. But what we're hearing is they've asked me to quote against China. Mm -hmm. They've asked me to quote against China, and I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and that's where we're at. This was uh, episode um, 86. Mm -hmm. So this was only, I don't know, two, three months ago. So that just goes to show how far we have come. Or maybe how far we haven't come. You know, uh, the, the tariffs have, did not have an immediate impact on uh, work coming back from China. What they did was they laid the seeds for people to start analyzing the relationship with China. Ah, so it wasn't that we're going to play, play hardball with China and we're going to strong arm them. So we have the right, the right policies in place. It was more like, let's get our people here in the United States to question the way they've been doing business. Yeah, but I think as much as anything, the pandemic has changed the way people look at China. 
Right. I think uh, China not being forthcoming about the outbreak of the pandemic has soured people on China. I think uh, the lack of travel to China now Mm -hmm. has made doing business in China extremely difficult. And probably that is the most important thing as far as people reassessing the relationship with China. If you have a business that relies upon going back and forth to China frequently, you are in the soup. Right. You can't do it. Back in the spring, back in March, we did an episode where we interviewed we interviewed a guy in the supply chain, involved in the supply chain with China. And he, I think, underestimated a little bit what was going to happen. I am thrilled to have Daniel Hirsch, Managing Director at Alex Partners. He is going to talk about supply chain today, and we're going to discuss the coronavirus. I'm putting in a terrible position here, but like, Mm -hmm. what's the best case scenario from today, from February 26th, a a conservative best case scenario, and what is a worst case scenario uh, for... For the next, uh, I don't know, two, three months. You know, a, a best case scenario is that, you know, Italy and Korea get things under control, that countries that are proximal to them take the right steps and keep this from really becoming a, a global pandemic. Um, and that, you know, people get back to work. And within, I you know, at this rate, it would be, it looks like another four to five months anyway before things are really back up to speed but then you would expect to see somewhat of an acceleration for some of those businesses that are catching up for the missed demand mm-hmm. you know you may see some government intervention um kind of like what we saw back in 2001 here in the united states you know keep america rolling types of things the chinese government chinese enterprises could certainly do the same thing you know china's auto industry was on its way to a bit of a recovery this year and so um, that's probably derailed. Uh, you're going to see single digit percentage impacts to global GDP, like, uh, you know, stock market and everything else in, in China and the U.S. are, are going to take uh, some pain in the short term. Worst case is, you know, the worst case. It's uh, like the zombie apocalypse. I mean, if you really <laughs> want to get crazy with it. But um, no, I mean, it, it, it could uh, you know, worst case would be that it continues to spread, that people and governments don't take it seriously, that that we allow it to uh, jump off into into new areas and cause more shutdowns. Um, that would be. Are we overreacting? Um, it doesn't feel like it right now, but you know, th- this is one of those things. Time will tell. I I think most people would agree you'd much ma- rather overreact with something like this. I mean, this, these are these are people. These are people's lives. Um, and the, the, the long term uh, is much more important than, uh, you know, short term business gain. Dad, reflect a little bit on, if you can, on how you were feeling, say, two years ago from today, as far as doing business in the machinery business, even with other countries. How does it feel right now? If you compared it. Uh, it's much more difficult today uh, because people can't travel easily between, from one country to another. I mean, even trying to do business in Canada, 
you have to quarantine yourself for two weeks in Canada if you want to travel there or vice versa. Uh, so it's very sticky. It's very difficult. Several deals we've had in the last year have been with or we've worked on deals with customers in Canada and they've fallen through because the person couldn't cross the border to look at a machine or we couldn't cross the border to look at a machine. On the other hand, we did sell uh, several Davenports to companies in China and they were in a rush to get them. And I think that was because they feared that if they didn't get them quickly, they might not get them at all, fearing that the relationship between the U.S. and China might deteriorate further. Let's reflect a little bit again about the podcast. What has been one of the most interesting guests for you that comes to mind? Well, one probably was Anissa. Right. Episode 33, we interviewed a woman named Anissa Muthana, which is one of our favorite interviews. She had so many different things to talk about. Family business, diversity in business as a, a Muslim woman. Just to talk about women in manufacturing in general, I don't hire women because they're women. I hire people because they're qualified. I make the environment comfortable for women. I make the envi uh, environment comfortable for men uh, in all different types of diversity. You know, I have African-Americans, I have Latinos, I have Middle Easterns, I have Caucasians, I have Europeans. So I have all different types of backgrounds in my shop and in my um, management and even as far as my administration. So it's very important for me not to seek out women, but it's important for me that if there's a qualified candidate out there, or someone that is hungry um, and, and, and appreciates manufacturing, I want to be able to develop that person or to tap into that person's expertise and bring that person on um, to make my company grow. And if I limit myself to a pool of just women or just men uh, or any kind of, you know, whatever, however you want to categorize it, I'm limiting my success and my innovation and my growth. I don't see myself as a hijabi woman in manufacturing. I see myself as a human being that wants to do well and wants to leave an impact in this world in a positive way. In manufacturing, humanitarian, through my family, through my friends, and my networks. And so if I were to think about that, I would limit myself. And I won't do that. I've I made a decision to wear my hijab at age 29, and it was only when I educated myself about my religion and the purpose behind it. And when I did that, I do it strictly for my, through my strength and my love for my Lord. And when I do that, and I know that it's the Almighty that is the reason behind it, why would his mere creations be an issue for me? I agree. That was one of my favorites. Yes. So few women are able to start businesses. I'm ashamed to say, I think maybe we've had two guests on the show that, were, that have been women. It's pretty bad out of 100 episodes. <laughs> and it's not that I haven't tried. Why is that, Noah? 
I don't know. It's I guess it's just that there are not that many business owners in this business that are women. But you, it doesn't have to be an owner. Um, no, it doesn't. It just seems like the main figures, people who we've sought out for one reason or another to interview on the show, have all been men. How many African-Americans? Oh, let's see. One, maybe one. Which may be reflective about African-Americans in the machining business yeah. in America, at least small business. Well, it should be something that we try to do uh, for an upcoming episode, to do an episode about minority people involved in machining or women involved in machining. I think that would be an important... Uh, yeah, but another issue theme. there is how many people care. Probably more people care about the issue of women than about African-Americans in machining, at least the people that we know. Why do you say that? This is my impression. Do you think I'm wrong? An FYI to our thousands of listeners out there. We're always looking for new show sponsors, new ideas for episodes, and feedback. Obviously, positive feedback is nice. But if you have some constructive criticism, it's also really good. Feel free to send emails to the contact info on todaysmachiningworld.com. If they're interesting, maybe I'll read some on the air. When I approach figuring out who to interview, I, I have a few different criteria. One idea is just somebody is interested in a good story. Somebody's interested in how somebody else has approached their business and what they're doing. How can I learn from this person? And then um, lately, I've been trying to do more, I'd say, something where you can see direct, how is this going to help me? Like we interviewed um, Firetrace, somebody from Firetrace. How can I prevent a fire in my shop? What are the things it's going to take? One of my favorite episodes was, it was a double episode with Chris Voss and Brandon Voss, uh, Master Negotiators. This is an episode of how you can negotiate. Chris Voss is the father of Brandon, and Chris was an FBI hostage negotiator who retired and took his negotiation powers that he was using in law enforcement and devoted them to business. The whole point of talk, bringing it out from hostage negotiation skills, is hostage negotiation skills resonate on every person, regardless of culture, gender, or ethnicity. Yeah. And it works with everybody. And that's why it works in every aspect of business. Because, you know, something's under siege, something's under threat in every business deal. Somebody wants to either want to take something from you or you think they do. Yeah. Or you feel stressed. I had a friend of mine once say, if you feel stressed at any level, you've been taken hostage. So it doesn't matter whether I'm in Bogota or Baghdad or Beirut. So the, the commanders I'm working for say, when is this going to be over? And I'll say, when the bad guys feel like they've gotten the best deal they can. Mm -hmm. Not when they got the best deal they could, when they felt like it. Yes. We're talking about kidnappers' feelings. As soon as they feel it was a good deal. That's exactly what you described. You get somebody looking to buy from you, they got to feel 
like they got a good deal. They got to feel like they work for it. They got to feel like they fought for it. Otherwise, they'll be unhappy. Exactly. And so these are the strategies that we teach people because what's going to happen? You got to follow on relationship with these guys. So they're going to come back. Do they feel like they got a good deal? They feel like they get cheated. I just want to go over a few other favorites. It was an interview with a guy, Ari Mizell. And Ari Mizell, he calls himself an overwhelmologist. He helps you automate, outsource, come up with a system so you can fit a lot more things in your life into a shorter amount of time and have time, time to be with your family, time to build a business, time to have a business that's not, that doesn't rule you. If you're not replaceable, then you are in essence, a liability to your business. You know, everyone loves the whole proverbial, like you got, you know, get hit by a bus, uh, you know, old adage, right? So what happens if you get hit by a bus? It's a really important thing to think about in your business. If you get hit by a bus, if your business is going to tank because of that, then you're definitely not replaceable. And you really don't have a business. You have the uh, privilege of owning your own job. So if you really want a business that extends beyond you and have a business that's driven by your ideas rather than your hands and your presence, then you need to be more replaceable. Now, we don't want to actually replace you. We don't want to have somebody else come in and run the business. But if you use that as a guiding light and you try to make yourself as replaceable as possible, you start to be able to focus on what you really do best. And, and the business can drive forward in ways that, that it never could before. Um, I have a team of three people plus me that, uh, I mean, we're doing things that I think other businesses are doing with 20 people. You tell somebody who works a nine to five job, you know, what would happen if you had to leave the office by four o'clock? It's not that challenging for most people. They'll say, oh, I'd skip lunch or, you know, I'd take one less call or one less meeting, something like that. But if you ask the same person, what would you do if you could only work one hour in the day? That requires a completely different kind of thinking, a, a kind of thinking that you've never used before. And, and that's what's so interesting to me. Uh, it's not that we want to work the one hour a day necessarily. And, and I, I don't. I, I love what I do. And I, I work more than one hour a day. But how many hours a day do you work? Um, realistically, so I work while my kids are at school. So I take my kids to school and I pick them up. So nine to two thirty generally is when is my work day. Interesting. So if you, but if you create a scenario where you could do all the things that you had to do in an hour, and again, it's not possible that you could yourself get everything done in one hour so you have to then put systems in place and automations and be outsourcing and bring in other help uh, to make that happen so one of the things that i love about that exercise is it very quickly makes you realize that you can't do everything nor should you i found that quite fascinating and also i keep learning from you on how to at least attempt to organize things better when in particular? Because I feel terribly unorganized. I see you saying no uh, to working when you've decided that you shouldn't be working. Yeah. And uh, that's showing a discipline and an adherence to an idea that uh, I respect. Thank you. I, I hope it doesn't seem like it's lazy. To me, it's just more like, when you're working, you're working, and when you're not, you're not. 
One of the things that I've tried to start having some themes for various uh, seasons of episodes and, and trying to start a few different consistent questions. I've started asking every single person the question, what is something that you've learned in the last week? You know, a nice zinger and a nice a nice thing that you can learn a lot about somebody, the way they approach their professional life or just interesting things outside of their work by asking somebody what they've learned. What is something that you have learned in the last uh, last week? Doesn't have to be anything groundbreaking. It doesn't even have to be, it doesn't have to be something that fits perfectly into the podcast. It's nice if it does, but as you said before, you can drop connections with all kinds of things. So what what was something for you the last week? I've learned or relearned that people actually want to connect with me, which is sometimes a shock. I had uh, somebody call me who I hadn't talked to in 15, 18 years, who had been in a men's group that I was in. Completely out of the blue, just called. When did he call? Yesterday. Wow. Just called because he wanted to connect and... Was it after he read something you wrote? No. No. He didn't even know that I had a blog, or still doesn't know, nor did I tell him. He called because he wanted to talk to me, because he hadn't talked to me in a long, long time, and he was remembered me, and he looked people up in the group on Google, mm-hmm. and I was one that he was able to find. And how did that make you feel? Well, I didn't take the call originally, because I didn't recognize the phone number, <laughs> but it, he left a voice message. On the landline? Yeah. He left a voice message, and then I said, do I really want to call him? Uh, Because I wasn't terribly close to him at all. And then I said, you know, he took the trouble to find my phone number and call me. I'm going to call him. And I talked to him for about a half hour, and it was a pleasant conversation. I learned some stuff about him, about his life about how he looked at me and other people in the group. And this was a group from 30 years ago? No, 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but I was in this group for 10 years. And, uh, you know, that that's one thing I learned. I, I got a call also from somebody who read the piece on aging and uh, never met the person before, never heard of him. And he called completely out of the blue to Graf Pinker, and he just said he wanted to talk to me. That's so awesome. And say that he loved my writing and that this piece spoke to him. That's amazing. You know, I don't know if it's amazing, but... No, but my point is what it... Okay, amazing. Everybody uses the word amazing too much. I won't use the word amazing, but to me what it means is that you have affected someone. You have left your mark on somebody else on the world, even if it's just a little bit. That's the reason why I like the podcast so much. It's purpose. It's leaving my mark. It's having an effect on people. 
maybe it's not like making them change their life or making them happy or sad or whatever, but if there was something in it that taught them or entertained them in some way, I have made a little difference in the world. And we only get three, four hundred listens an episode, which I hope will keep getting better. But it that feels good knowing that at least that at least somebody in there, they must get something out of it if they are choosing to use their time to listen to it. And that to me, that's just what makes it so cool. Noah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being my occasional co-host. More than occasional. And all of your support. And you're one of the reasons this was able to happen and we could do 100 episodes. So I thank you. You're welcome. Stay tuned. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget to tell your friends. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch videos of extended interviews. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is William Steffi. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. <laughs>